from the Herbivoric Studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. It's time for another Azalea Eaton episode of Chemical Free Horticultural Hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Deer need to eat six to 10 pounds of greenery a day. What can you grow that's not on their menu? On today's show, we'll name a number of plants that deer eat last, describe some strategies that allow you to grow what you want, and basically just try and develop a taste for venison. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show, cats and kittens, that's right, potential guests are busy planting Pacassandra. So we will take that heap and help it. Of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and nattering nabobs of negativity. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, true believers, because it's all coming up faster than you growing plants that make Bambi complain to Thumper right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. In life, we have many kinds of partners, school bus partners, business partners, even gardening partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden from Rodale Institute Radio at the studios of PBS 39 in Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, a question of the week that may interest a few of you, just a few. We name the plants that deer eat last. A couple of you may be interested in that. I don't know. Mostly it's a phone call show. So we're taking your fabulous calls at 833-727-9588. Anna, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Hello, Anna. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I am just ducky, thanks for asking. Where is Anna Great? Uh, well, I live in Solarsville, Pennsylvania, in Bucks County. Okay, good. What can we do you for? For the past two years uh, that we lived in this house, we have beautiful weeping cherry trees. And unfortunately, a couple of weeks ago, I noticed that globs of stuff oozing through the bark. Mm-hmm. And um, I removed mulch and added compost made of leaves. Uh, but I was wondering if if I should try to remove sap and clean the area underneath, or should I just uh, give it more time? Is it normal or not? Is it canker? Is there is there a way to test for canker, and whether or not it's dangerous for other trees that I have on my property? Because we have so many different shrubs and apple trees, cherry trees. Now you said you removed mulch. What did you have under there? So when we moved in into this house, we had black mulch, and underneath there is just soil. I removed it, and I applied on top a leaf compost. Um, okay, so you've got, uh, you've got sap coming out of your weeping cherry on the bark, not on the branches? No, no. Just on the bark? Just on the bark. And, and um, what color is it? Uh, it's bright orange, okay. and it's not hard. It's it's very soft. Sure, sure. Some trees, you know, maples, peach trees, cherry trees are bleeders. Um, they will put out a lot of sap. Um, a lot of times, this is almost normal, you know, especially for a pruning cut. But a lot mm-hmm. of times, it means insects are working their way into the bark. Uh, trees can live for many years with this, or it, it can be fatal right away. I, I don't think you have canker. Canker would be on the branches, um, and, okay. and canker would have black sooty stuff around it. 
really the only the only thing you can do is indirect. Um, you've already mulched the, the trees with compost, which is very good. And just keep an eye on them. Don't use any chemical fertilizer near them. Don't treat the lawn near them. And see what happens next spring. If they bloom beautifully, yep. um, you should be okay. Uh, otherwise, eventually the tree will falter and die, and you may want to have it taken down and replaced. And in the meantime, try to find out exactly what's going on. Now, there are traps you can buy for the springtime, uh, pheromone traps that capture the pest that lays the eggs that uh, then hatch and, and burrow into the tree. So che check with your local garden center. See if they have uh, chaps, uh, traps for the cherry tree borer. Okay? Wonderful. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Good luck to you. Daniel, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. How's it going? I'm doing well today, Daniel. I'm sitting up, taking nourishment. You really can't complain. Uh, how are you and where are you? I'm doing well, thanks for asking. I'm located in Libertyville, Illinois. Oh, it sounds very patriotic. So what can we do you for today? So I have a question about scarlet runner beans. One of my favorite plants. Uh, so this is actually my first year growing them. Mm -hmm. And um, so the plants have been doing well. They're actually pretty large, lots of flowers, pretty bushy growth. But I only have about four or five bean pods on the two plants, and they've been flowering for about two months now. Mm -hmm. So let's start with a little bit of explanation of plants that are typically started indoors versus plants that are almost always, quote, direct seeded. Um, plants you start indoors would include cucumbers, peppers, tomatoes, things that need to be like six to eight weeks old before they go out into the garden. However, plants mm -hmm. like corn and any form of a string bean, green bean, or a specialized bean like yours are best direct sown where they're going to grow. It's, it, I have seen many green beans um, amongst the tomatoes and peppers lately at garden centers, and I just think it's ridiculous. Um, it's just as easy to buy a pack of seeds and cheaper and put them outside, and they're going to do much better. Now, for those who don't know, scarlet runner beans are an amazing plant. As you say, the flowers are magnificent. Listen, man, if all you get this year is the flowers, you can't complain. They are perhaps the most ornamental of our food plants. And when you do get beans off them, those beans can be picked young and used as string beans or you can let them go a little bit longer to where you can see the pod swelling, the seed swelling inside the pod, and then they're like lima beans, which is why you should just leave them alone at that point. They've transferred into something awful. And then at the end, if you leave the pods out to fully dry on the plant, you can harvest them as dried beans to use over the winter, like pinto beans and things like that. And the beans themselves, are perhaps the most beautiful bean in the world of gardening. And that's not an exaggeration. They're this fabulous purple streaked with black. They are, they are just gorgeous. I do know people who grow scarlet runner beans and leave them all on the plant to turn brown so the beans are really crisp and ripe. And then they use them to make jewelry and stuff. 
So scarlet runner beans also need to be supported. So you've got them growing in pots. What are you doing to support the vines? Uh, So I just have a couple of simple, you know, uh, stakes Mm -hmm. that I I had to hold up some of uh, my plants. So they're definitely at this point kind of past where the stakes are and falling over um, from there. But for the most part, they have about six, five to six feet of support. Okay. Well, they would really like, honestly, they would honestly like 10 to 12 feet of support. These are what are called pole beans. When you get into the world of string beans and specialty beans, you basically got two kinds. You got bush beans, which are very short plants, for lack of a better word. Uh, They only get one or two feet tall, so you don't need a trellis. However, as I reminded myself this summer when I grew them again, you got to get down to pick them. And getting down is getting old with me. So you and I are ghost, okay. yeah. you and I are both going to erect trellises next year. Or the okay. cheap the cheap way out of this is to grow them next to like a chain link fence. Okay. So, yeah, and I have a fence nearby which which might work for that. Yeah, and I would urge you how big are the pots? Um so the both pots are only about 8 inches in diameter I mm-hmm. would say. Yeah. Um I mean, it's possible, but and and it's fun. I mean, let's let's be honest here. You were successful. They're not dead, and, yeah, and yeah, you're definitely. See, and you're seeing a lot of the flowers, which are absolutely fabulous. Now, have you mm-hmm. seen a lack of bees around this entire area? Not around the entire area. So um, I'm also growing some stuff like uh, tithonia and tomato plants, and I've seen the bees and all sorts of different insects all over those plants, mm-hmm. and even the hummingbirds coming by. But um, Now, the hummingbirds just... have to be coming by to the scarlet runner flowers. They have to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I, I've seen a lot of different, you know, okay. um, insect life around them, which okay. has been good. But uh, I think I mentioned in my original email, too, that we did have some landscapers spray herbicides, oh. which did some damage to a lot of the plants, but they've all managed to recover. You're like the callers we used to get in Philadelphia. The call would go on for 10 minutes, and then the woman would go, <laughs> oh, and my husband backed the car up over it last fall. Does that count? Yeah, yeah, you, guys, yeah. you guys are lucky you got anything. Now, can, can this be stopped? Um, yeah, I'm going to have a talk with the person. Since, it's, like I said, it's at my office, I'm going to have a talk with the person who kind of coordinates the landscapers there and uh, ask them to, if they can't cut out the, you know, weed killer completely. They can. There's no reason. No, don't buy that. There is absolutely no reason to spray chemical herbicides anywhere. They are a coward's first resort. They don't control weeds real well. They threaten your health, and they threaten the health of the appliers tremendously. Haven't you followed these court uh, findings? Were these guys who used Roundup for years and developed the cancers that Roundup is known to cause are getting millions of millions of dollars in compensation? Your workplace yeah, should yeah. get into at least the 20th century. No herbicides. Mm-hmm. And if that's not good enough, find another landscaper. Seriously. That's something you put your yeah. foot down about. Yeah, I'm going to write up a proposal about it because we have a lot of different areas where we have landscapers going, and I can't imagine how much of the spraying and all that uh, is going they'll, on. They'll, uh, they get paid to spray. 
So mm -hmm. unless somebody tells them not to, they're going to spray as much as they can because they get to bill you for each one. And you're a nice guy yeah. to sit down and write a proposal. I would roll a smoke grenade into the room to get things started. <laughs> okay. All right, Dan, you're in Libertyville, man. Protect the rights of your plants, the First, Second, and Eighteenth Amendment. It's up to you. Okay. All right, Dan, be good. Okay. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will explain how to transform your fall leaves into magnificent mulch and compost carbon at 7 p.m. on Wednesday, October 2nd for the Bristol Township Environmental Advisory Council and Greenbelt Overhaul Alliance of Levittown. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet because we'll be right back to Discourage Deer and take more of your discouraging phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Rodale Institute, hosting a Fall on the Farm event on Saturday and Sunday, September 21st and 22nd. Visitors can enjoy organic apple and pumpkin picking, wagon tours, food vendors, live music, and more. Details at RodaleInstitute.org. The Rodale Institute, because the future is organic. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, a topic you may be a tiny bit interested in, how to get deer from eating all of your plants. I think you might be interested in that. In the meantime, we'll take more of your interesting phone calls at 833-727-9588. Jessica, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Jess. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I am just ducky, thanks for asking. Where's Jess doing well? In Lyle, Illinois. Where is Lyle? It is about 30 miles west of Chicago. Okay. Almost due west. So is that where you go for good dinners and stuff? Yeah, they <laughs> definitely filled with great restaurants. <laughs> All right. So what can we do for Jessica in Illinois? I was wondering how to kill the grass under my trees without killing my trees because I don't enjoy the mower going over the roots. Okay. Well, you know, you're you're an unusual case. Most people want to grow grass right up to the tree. So And somebody must have really tried hard and been very successful because I have grass all over. Huh, okay. So um, and you have exposed roots. Yes. Okay. And do you have it it's just the tree, the roots, and the grass out there, right? No mulch, no nothing? Correct. Okay. And um, so what I'm going to suggest is we make circles of compost, compost mulch, uh, starting a few inches away from the tree. But it's okay to cover the roots. It's also okay to leave the roots exposed, but it's also okay to cover them. So bring that compost mulch out as far as you need to um, 
to not bounce off the roots with the lawnmower and then, you know, form it so it's a complete circle around the tree. So it has a really nice look. If you keep, okay. if you add to that compost every year, you know, start out with two inches and maybe go up to <clears throat> adding an inch a year after that, that should keep the grass under control. Although before you do that, how, how healthy is the grass leading right up to the tree? It's pretty healthy, and so then I have trouble keeping it down because I don't want to pull out a weed whacker up to the trunk either. Well, uh, there is a little trick if you can get some help. Okay. Or actually, you don't even need help. Get a big piece of cardboard and duct tape, the gardener's best friend, and duct tape protection around the bottom of the tree and then whack the hell out of that grass. Just take it all okay. down. Just go nuts on it. Um, and then get that compost down quickly. In studies that were done at three separate universities, um, Ohio State, uh, University of Kentucky, and uh, Iowa State University, on multiple uh, landscapes, multiple kinds of plants, two inches of compost prevented weed growth just as well as two inches of uh, chipped mulch, wood mulch. So... You should be. Should I be using the leaf mulch still? Oh yeah, yeah. You should be okay. using um, a compost. Is what was tested, and com okay. compost will be heavier than leaf mulch. It'll prevent the grass from coming up. And okay. You you may see little bits coming up here and there, but I think that'll give you a good start. And you're right not to want to keep bouncing off the roots of the tree. It can't be any good for the mm -hmm. tree. Right. So get some good well, yard waste compost when. Um, do you have uh, a municipal supply hand, a professional radio guy here, uh, a municipal <laughs> supply handy or a garden centers that have big things of compost outside? I have a garden center, but they generally do bagged compost. Yeah, that stuff so I'll is... have to look into getting um, maybe a delivery of some sort. Yeah, well, you know, do you think bags could handle it? I have a lot of trees and yeah, about a see, half acre. Okay. So <laughs> I think you should look around, find a good supply of bulk compost, but before you buy it, bring home okay. like a five-gallon bucket worth and okay. put, uh, put some of the compost into a plant pot with good drainage um, and put some of the compost into another plant pot with good drainage. In one, just water it. In another, water it with seeds in it. Plant some seeds. So if the naked one, so to speak, stays clean, then you know the compost isn't weedy. If the okay. one with the plants in it, the plants look good, then you know there's no herbicide residue. It's real simple to test at home, and that way okay. you don't have to find out the hard way. Yeah, that sounds great. Okay. And then for when it's just dirt underneath and no more um, grass, yeah, is it okay to put hosta down? No. Just so I would... that it's not a mud pit? Or uh -oh. no? Uh, oh no! It won't be a mud pit, and it won't just of be, that compost. it won't okay. be dirt. No, that compost will m make a nice ring, and it'll be um, it'll be permanent as long as you freshen it up every year. Okay, great. And uh, hostas, especially being herbaceous perennials, they go down really low. Um, okay. So their roots would interfere. Now, if you wanted to get some small containers and put annual flowers out there around them. That could look nice. Okay, that sounds like a great idea. Okay. 
All right. Thank you so much. All right. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. That number to call, 833-727-9588. Christina, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hello, Mike. Hello, Christina. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I am just ducky today. Thank you <laughs> for asking. Where is Christina doing great? I am in Houston, Texas. Very good. What can we do you for? Well, I was calling because I have this drainage ditch that's out in front of my house. It's very small, um, but it has a bunch of weeds and other invasive grasses that grow in it. Mm -hmm. I'd like... I'd like, you know, to keep it sort of a natural area. There's a bunch of frogs and other insects oh, that live cool. in it. Um, but we can't have all the weeds, um, and we can't have it get more than two feet high. Um, but because it's a ditch, it's often full of water here in Houston, so it's difficult to weed and to get in there and to deal with the plants. I just wanted to call and get sort of your advice. So the two-foot high is some uh, municipal restriction? Yeah, if it's a, quote, natural area, if you get it permitted as a natural area, yeah. it can be up to two feet high. Uh, that's not very high. What, 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 no. if, what, what if you can't get it permitted? Uh, the four inches? Well, if, you, if you can't get it permitted, I think it's uh, nine inches. Okay. So how deep is the ditch itself? The ditch isn't that deep. I'd say it's maybe um, a foot or less. And how long? Uh, on our property, I'd say it's about mm, six to eight feet. Okay, so not a huge area to work with. No, not big, but the frogs like it. Oh, oh and they're tremendously helpful. Do you have a garden? Uh, we're trying. <laughs> it's just been pretty hot this summer. Yeah, oh, it's been it's been a challenge in, in most of the climates that we reach, yeah. and. Thank yeah. goodness we're not France, where it just was like 115, and that's that's a country that doesn't have a lot of air conditioning. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I can't even imagine. Um, so, let's see. Um, now, you, you said you did get it certified, right? Who certified it? So, we're working on that. The city uh, will certify it as a natural area if we can remove some of the invasive plants. Okay. Um, that's one of their other requirements. Mm-hmm. And then what? Are they going to provide fresh seed for you or something? No, they wouldn't provide any of the materials. We would have to go and get them, you know, ourselves, which we're happy to do. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in our backyard, we're trying to install some native plants, and we've been doing some wildflowers from seed, things like that. We have some native Turks cap in our front yard. So we're happy to, to do all the work. We just don't really know how to go about doing it. Um, Lady Bird Johnson has... Uh... Of course, she's passed away, but in her memory, there is a great wildflower um, center. And is I, I know it's in Texas. Is it in Houston? I think it's in Austin or just outside of Austin. Because the first thing I would do if your climate in, you know, I realize there is no such thing as Texas. There's like four, <laughs> there's four different growing zones. I mean, yeah. you go up to the top, and you can get really cold nights in the winter. You go down to the bottom, and you're below the frost line. So, you know, it can be yeah. crazy. But if your, um, if your climate is similar to uh, the location of the Lady Bird Johnson Wildflower Center, I would contact them and ask uh, about the perfect seed mix for your okay. area. They probably have some seed mixes that they sell. 
Um, there may be even some a way of, of having them given away. Um, and I would also contact your local state extension office for their recommendation of wildflowers and native plants for your region. Um, okay. Now, what I'm going to suggest is really because of the, the, the kind of area you describe, what's in there that's invasive other than grasses? Uh, it's mostly the grasses. There's something that looks like Bermuda grass that keeps crawling out and onto the sidewalk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Attacking <laughs> passers-by, scary children. Exactly. An actual nuisance. Yeah. Um, um, so mostly that, and then some of the taller grasses. I'm not entirely sure what they are. Yeah, well, uh, there are a lot of tall grass-like plants that love um, the aquatic kind of uh, area you're describing. Really, there's nothing more you can do in a, in a situation like yours because of the water, because of the frogs. I think you got to get in there and, and hand pull. What I would suggest okay. when, the, when the weather breaks, um, do you have friends and neighbors in the area? Yes. I would put some steaks on the grill, um, <laughs> you know, get a case of the really good beer, and have a pulling party. Tell people to bring over their uh, their waterproof leggings, whatever you know, the fishermen's uh, <laughs> things, and get in there and really clean it out, uh, trying to get out the roots and all. But then have the seed in hand, and then immediately reseed. Okay. That to me is going to be your best bet. There are there are uh, non toxic sprays you could use on dry land that are. Uh, Iron-based, iron-based herbicides, but they're right. they're not effective against many grasses because that may truly be Bermuda grass in there. Bermuda grass is a very uh, effective grower, for lack of a better word, and it's a popular grass in many parts of Texas, a lawn grass. Right. So you know you have a polling party. You make sure everybody is well compensated with food and drink. <laughs> you compost the criminals, but then you really just cover that thing with seed and okay. you know in the fall that's probably the best time to plant many of the wildflowers that are going to do best in your area okay but i think it's a great thing okay. that you're doing and um i congratulate you well thank you hopefully i can get enough people together and get it all done yeah like i said you got to spring for the good beer <laughs> i'll do that thank you mike all right my pleasure good luck all right thank you bye-bye have a good one Eight three three seven two seven ninety five eighty eight. Dave, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, Mike, how you doing? I am just ducky today, Dave. Thanks for asking. How are you, sir? I'm doing well as well. And where is Dave doing well? I'm calling from Parker CPA. Oh, I know the area well. That's not that far from the Philadelphia Folk Festival. Uh, not, not at all. Just over uh, about ten miles away. Okay. All right. What can we do for Dave and Perkesy? Well, I have a question about my uh, my tomato plants. I found uh, the evil hornworm on them, mm -hmm. and they were tearing them up pretty good. And what really made me notice them is the little white, looked like egg, egg sacs all over them. That's what they are. Right. Well, I, I went and started picking them off. I, had, I picked off about six or seven. I found about nine or ten altogether. Mm -hmm. And you know, about out of all those, only two didn't have those white egg sacs on them. And when I picked them up, they hardly moved at all. Now... What are these white egg sacs? I stopped and left the other ones go. Mm -hmm. What are these white egg sacs? And, and 
what's my next step here? Okay, so the tomato hornworm is one of the largest and hungriest caterpillars in North America. Oh, yeah, uh, it was tearing them up. Yeah, it turns into a very amazing moth. You think of moths as little things. This thing has a wing spread of six to eight inches. Wow. It, it is a remarkable creature, the sphinx moth. Huh. But the caterpillar can be very destructive. I uh, often have mistaken hornworm damage for deer coming in and eating the top of my plants. That's how much they right. can eat. So the tomato hornworm has a natural enemy. Um, and that is a tiny wasp, maybe in the brachinoid family, maybe one of the others. But right. this wasp is so small, we'll never see it. It is the size of a period at the end of a sentence in a newspaper. But it has huge effect. When it senses a tomato hornworm around, it will fly onto the hornworm, the female, after she's been fertilized, and mm -hmm. she will lay her eggs on the back of the hornworm's body. Right. And these eggs will uh, pierce the skin, start to take nutrition from the hornworm, and that allows the insects inside to spin these pretty large cocoons. So what looks like white spines down the animal's back are the insect that can control it naturally. Right. Right. Um, and what happens generally after those egg sacs have been there for uh, five days or a week, the caterpillar will, will die and start shriveling up. And right. then every egg sac will give birth to another little wasp that will in turn you know, mate, and then the females will go out and look for other tomato hornworms. I don't think the specific wasp parasitizes any other type of caterpillar. They specialize in the tomato hornworm. So if you see a hornworm in your garden with um, nothing on its back, you squish it. If you see tomato hornworms with those spines on their back, you take a couple of branches, um, of your tomato plants, things you don't care about, there's no fruits or flowers on them, yeah. and yeah. Make, make a little nursery at the, at the side of your garden, drop all this tomato foliage there, and then carefully place the parasitized tomato hornworms on it so they have something to eat until the baby wasps fly out. But, all right, I gotcha. Yeah, and you know, in one sense, the more caterpillars you have that are parasitized, the less you're going to have these problems in the future because, again, you're breeding their natural enemy. It's like you, you have a, a, a beneficial insect breeding plant. Well, how about that? So I always protect my ones with spines, and I always take great pleasure in trash-talking the ones I'm about to squish because I'm from Philadelphia. It's like, hey, you picked the wrong <laughs> tomato plant to be on, pal, didn't you? Oh, oh, well, does that feel good? Oh! Uh, I'm not much different when it comes to these things. Either, All right. So. But those, uh, <laughs> those ones with spines are your best friends. Make sure that All they right. survive long enough to fly out. All right, we come across this in the future. I know exactly what to do. Yes, and that's good advice for everybody. So thanks for bringing it up. Sure, thanks, Mike. All right, you take care, pal. All right, see ya. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody out there that I will appear in Bristol, PA at 7 p.m. on Wednesday, October 2nd to celebrate nature's annual gift of leaves with a talk on the proper making and utilization of compost. 
for the Bristol Township Environmental Advisory Council and Greenbelt Overhaul Alliance of Levittown. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back to Discouraged Deer and take more of your discouraging phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. You Bet Your Garden. From Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we are in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we will tell you the plants that deer eat last. We'll also tell you some of the strategies you can do to grow whatever the heck you want when deer are in the area. You won't want to miss this one. And you won't. It's coming up after a couple more of your fabulous phone calls to 833-727-9588. John, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing great, John. How are you, sir? Okay. And where where are you? South Philadelphia. Okay, where? Uh, down around Marconi Plaza. Oh, okay, good. Um, South Philly is its own uh, country, I think, sometimes down there. Yeah, oh, yes, we are. <laughs> All right. What can we do for John in South Philly? Well, uh, you answered my question last week pretty much about uh, growing the peppers, uh, you know, late in the season and how I can bring them in and grow them in the winter. Right. Now, you had a special variety you love to grow. But, right. But the seeds didn't work for you in the spring, and you got new seeds. Right. And I explained how peppers really, as long as you give them a abundant light, they can be grown indoors over the winter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a skylight in the in the bathroom, and I have a lot of plants up there. And, yeah, uh, but they're probably house plants. They're probably low light plants. Um, didn't I didn't I suggest you use fluorescent tubes and keep? Yeah. Them? Yes, you did. I think I think you're going to get better results that way. And I don't think it's going to work in the bathroom, although the bathroom is a great place for houseplants. Yeah, yeah, they do grow nice. Well, I do have a, a set of two tubes, four-footers. Great, good. And, and just regular fluorescent tubes, right? Yeah, yeah. That's pretty good. So, um, well, uh, something else up? What, what can we do you yeah, for? Yeah, I, I planted hydrangeas, uh, hydrangeas over my cousins in Sweetsboro, New Jersey. Right. I planted them here in South Philly. They're growing like crazy. Right. Blooming all over the place. Over there, she gets one or two, three maybe, on a big bush. Mm -hmm. Now, they've, they've grown and they've gotten big. What can we do to make them bloom? Well, uh, is, is hers getting enough sun? Yeah, it's right, it's right in the, it's facing south. Okay. Uh, the front of her house uh, on King's Highway. And, uh, 
the 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 plant is growing beautifully, but it don't bloom. Right. Is she feeding it anything? Uh, I doubt it very much. Because a a a big plant with few blooms is generally the result of too much nitrogen, um, like in cow, uh, horse manure or poultry manure or a high nitrogen chemical fertilizer. Uh, are you feeding yours? Uh, no, you don't have to feed them. They, <laughs> they, they do beautiful here in South Philly. Yeah, well, I think there's just something, you know, if you're Italian in South Philly, the plants are going to grow for you no matter what. Well, you, you know what? There's a lot of, um, in the soil, there's a lot of shells. Mm -hmm. uh, from, from days going by, if you dig deep enough, you'll find a lot of oyster shells, clam shells. I think what the workers used to uh, use and eat, you know, for lunch, mm -hmm. and they used to put them in the ground when they were building these houses down here. And uh, I, I think that does something to the soil down here because everything grows nice. Yeah, and a lot of times, because the houses are so close together, uh, the old privies are there with all that, uh, with all that fossilized humanure, and uh, that's a lot of nutrients in, uh, in the soil. Yeah, I'm sure with the old outhouses they used to have, yeah. So, but, uh, and yours get the same kind of sun. Yeah. Yeah, my garden, uh, uh, I have everything. I have four gardens in the back in the alley. <laughs> one in my house, one of the guys in the back, he lets me use my goddaughter two doors away and my friend three three doors down. I have four gardens That's South growing Philly, all man. over. We're growing all kinds of vegetables. That's South Philly on a stick. Yeah. Well, what I would tell you uh, to tell her is, uh, well, is she pruning them? No. It's not pruning them. No. Um, we take out the dead sticks. I take care of it. Yeah, okay. I would get, an, I would get either uh, an organic fertilizer that has a high middle number. You know, all fertilizers, liquid, solid, organic, regular. Yeah. Um, they all have three numbers. First is nitrogen, second is phosphorus, third is potassium. Ideal for her situation would be like a 263, something like that. Something with a low nitrogen and uh, a- 263. Yeah, I'm and it doesn't down. have to be that, right? It could be three, five, four, something like that. But you want the middle number to be high. Right, and I don't want any of the numbers to be in the double digits. Okay. Single numbers. Although, if you want to try to give it a boost, there's still time to put down rock phosphate. Now, you would get this probably in a fairly small bag at a good garden center, a good independent garden center. And Which we don't have in South Philadelphia. Yeah, but maybe it's on the way to her house or something, you know. Yeah, I, I haven't seen any garden centers along Kings Highway uh, or Paulsboro, Sweetsboro Road. I travel along there. Uh, no, no garden centers, just okay. a couple of uh, fruit stands. Well, you know, selling, um, uh, vegetables and fruit. Maybe you want to mail order it or, you know, talk to somebody who knows uh, frequents a garden center out in the burbs. And anyway, rock phosphate is mined phosphorus from mountains, and it is a very powerful flowering nutrient. Uh, you would put down a, a fairly small amount, and you would cover it with soil or compost. Right. And then you would only do that every three years because it really persists in the soil. Yeah, maybe I'll get a hold of some of that and put it in before the cold weather. Exactly right. Exactly maybe, right. Maybe in the spring we'll get some blooms. It'll be, um, 
Yeah, it'll be in granular form. Make sure you cover it with soil or compost to activate it. Yeah. Well, these are plants that these are plants that I, I have from my flower shop. I have a flower shop in South Philly. Oh, up okay. On Avenue, and uh, like like Easter time, you know, and yeah. we saw five five blooms on this little little pot. Yeah. You know, and they're beautiful, and I plant them over there, and they look great, you know, and uh, as they've been growing, there's no blooms. Uh, and that that was the problem. So I'm going to try the fertilizer and see if we can get them to bloom. All right. Very good, John. All right. Thanks a lot, Mike. Thank thanks you, for sir. your help. Oh, my pleasure. All right. Bye-bye. Bye now. Well, the weather's cooling down, but gardening is heating up. There's lots to plant and harvest. It's time for that big second season of salad greens and cold weather crops. And we'll tell you how to get it all done correctly and organically. Just give us a call at 833-727-9588. As promised, it's time for the question of the week. The plants that deer eat last. Cheryl in the Poconos writes, We have been planting bushes outside a bay window in the front of our house. Thus far, all the bushes we have planted are surrounded by netting or wire to keep the deer from eating them. We would like to eliminate that if possible. Can you give us some ideas on which would be the best bushes, evergreens, and some plants with color that will not be feeding the deer? First, I want to congratulate you on protecting your newly installed plants. Most people who call or write us have already lost many plants to those ravenous stomachs on legs before they think to ask for help. So, you may not like the look of your protection, but you are way ahead of the game. Second, I want to explain to our listeners afar that the Poconos is a mountainous region that begins roughly two hours north of Philadelphia. It's a popular tourist location in the summer for its cooler temps and in the winter for skiing. Although many people call it the Pocono Mountains, there is no mountain with that name. But with its heavy forestation, streams, lakes, and homes that are mostly spread out, there are many deer. And every deer eats six to 10 pounds of greenery a year, with a special craving for your hostas, arborvitae, azaleas, and hostas. Oh, and hostas. If you're unsure if Bambi is causing your buffet to be missing parts, just plant a hosta. If it's gone the next day, you got deer. In fact, very few of us don't got deer. If you don't like it, move to Sitka, Alaska, where the deer get no bigger than medium-sized dogs. Or Phoenix, where there are no deer. But human beings have to hide in refrigerated rooms for the summer, and tall buildings have heat deflectors that look like giant playing cards butting out of their top floors so their windows don't explode. Anyway, when we, meaning I, researched this topic a while back, I looked at all of the lists of, quote, deer-resistant plants and found that the list created by the Mohunk Mountain House Resort in New York State to be the most reliable. That list used to be on the Cornell website, but it now appears to have been very recently replaced by a smaller one, quote, compiled from a variety of sources. I really like the old one, but heck, I still long for the era when you could call TI61212 and get the correct time. Hey, stop laughing, you kids. And if anybody can find that long ago link, please send it to me and we'll update the article. Then we'll go by Nichols at the Automat. Anyway, Cornell correctly warns that no plant is, quote, deer proof. 
If deer are hungry enough, they'll eat the plastic bumpers on your car. And so the top category on this new list is called plants that are rarely damaged by deer. These include the woody plants, boxwood, and spruce. Annuals like ageratum, cleome, four o'clocks, morning glory. Come on, it's poisonous, or at least it's hallucinogenic. And who wants to deal with a tripping deer? Salvia, datura, which is really toxic, snapdragon, and to my amazement, parsley and basil, which I would expect a deer to use as salad greens. Perennials in this section include bee balm. Hey, maybe the deer just don't want to get stung. Butterfly bush, daffodils, which are the perfect spring bulb, so toxic that even evil squirrels leave it alone. A plant with the great name interrupted fern, which reminds me of a cow joke, hellbores, gas plant, excuse you, Bambi, and those wild tiger day lilies. That's why there's so many of them out there. Bleeding heart, a still bee, and quite a few more. We'll link up to the list when this question of the week is posted to the Gardens Alive website. Oh, which was yesterday. The next category is plants seldom severely damaged by deer, which is starting to get real close to weasel words. And finally, please provide water and napkins. Well, that's what it should say. It's the plant that deer love the most. In a nutshell, which the deer would probably also eat, your best bet is plants that are toxic like daffodils and hellebore or incredibly tough and thorny like hawthorn and holly. But be aware that deer have browsed on my thorniest roses and raspberry canes, but typically only on the succulent new growth. Now, if they start eating my 30-year-old tree-like rose canes, I'm taking the furry to Sitka. That eating of thorny plants makes an important point. Perennials that are tough and thorny when mature still need to be protected when they're young. And hungry deer will browse on the new growth of older plants, especially early in the season. The only substitute for eternal vigilance is an eight-foot-tall, professionally-installed deer fence. Get back here. It's not as bad as it sounds. The mesh fencing is invisible from most angles and remarkably effective. There are also other deer-proofing strategies, each with their pluses and minuses. Motion-activated sprinklers are great, but they don't work in the winter, especially in the Poconos. I really like the wireless deer fence. Look it up online. And deer repellents can be very effective, best used at full strength or stronger early in the season when young deer can be trained to eat the neighbor's rhododendrons. Well, that sure was some good advice about defending your landscape from deer now, wasn't it? Luckily, you can read these instructions at your leisure or leisure because the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to plant more hostas on my property. If I don't get out of this studio, we must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588. Or send us your email 
You're tired. You're poor. Your wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at YBYG at WLVT.org. Please, please, please include your location. It is important. You'll find all of this contact information, plus answers to your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows, and links to our internationally renowned podcast. It's all at our website, youbetyourgarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Radio in association with WLVT, PBS 39, and Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created by Harold and Nancy McGrath. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda McGrath. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page and congratulate her on her very recent marriage. You know, I'm not sure if she's going to change her name or not. Our princess of production, Tavia Minnick, is thinking of changing her name to protect the innocent. Our website wonder is Anastasia Weckerly. Our audio editor is Jazzy Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. Our occasional camera persons are Carlin, Kayfield, and Jeff Frederick. Zach the Taquisneski is in the house. To quote the great Mark Slacker from the 70s version of Doonesbury, our CEO Tim Fallon, is guilty, guilty, guilty. And he's late for a meeting. I'm your host, probation-bound Mike McGrath. And if I can get time off for good behavior, I'll see you next. What? That's a no? Well, I've been doing this show for 20 years. How about time served? No. Hmm. Oh, I said good behavior. I meant goofy behavior. That's a solid maybe. I'll also throw myself on the mercy of the court and try to bribe the judge with a big bag of brandy wines. So I'll either see you next week or you can come visit me every other Sunday. Oh, it is, is it? Beautiful night. I got my best girl with me. Although, you know what could make it even better? Let me guess. Some mint chocolate chip. Bingo. You always get a little sappy when that sweet tooth kicks in. Partners since the beginning. Throughout life, you have many different partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life? Your health. Lehigh Valley Health Network. Your health deserves a partner. Learn more at LVHN.org.